newspaper has had with local businesses in Ellsworth, MDI, Trenton, Surrey, you name it. Uh, so that's how it started. Uh, and it's kind of unique in that we're deriving value without directly using the printed media to deliver results. Mm. And what a blessing to have that capability to drive uh, results both ways because mm. a lot of newspapers don't have that capability. So, Well, that it seems to me that goes back to what is a, a, a local newspaper. Um, and Stephen, maybe give us some, some um, um, suggestions on what the traditional role has been as we talk about the present and, and actually the, the present also is the future as well. But what, what are some of the traditional roles of a lo- local newspaper, do you think? I, I think it's always been to provide the readers with the information they need to exercise their citizenship, uh, to be an informed voter, to be an informed taxpayer, a participant in the local education uh, community. At uh, a conscientious newspaper provides uh, thorough information about what's going on in town and in town government and in the courts so that people living in the community uh, can more fully and effectively participate in the life of the community. Mm. And aside from the government and uh, court and official stuff, it, it, uh, a good newspaper is also going to give the reader an opportunity to care for other people, victims of fires, disaster, illness, uh, so they can exercise their compassion as well as their citizenship. So that notion of, of uh, a, f- a full, well-rounded citizen, not just someone who um, thinks about the issues and how to vote, but someone who cares about their community. I think so. Yeah. Ben, what would you add to that in terms of your um, growing up, um, kind of uh, watching a newspaper happen and now coming back to it? What would you add to that kind of tr- what's the traditional role of, of a newspaper? I think Stephen said it quite well. Um, Something I wanted to add was that just the notion that um, I think a, a, a local newspaper, especially a hyper-local newspaper, uh, is a place where a community can have a conversation with itself, where you can deal with the, the joys and triumphs and challenges and sorrows that are part of our sort of the quotidian experience of living in our, in our communities and understand kind of our day-to-day life. Mm. Mm. So what are the traditional ways in which the newspaper um, does this business, the the reporting side, um, the kind of communication side? Um, How's the Ellsworth American structured to to play that role? We certainly have uh, uh, categories of news, hard news, breaking news, government news, cops and courts, arts and leisure, sports, and, um, and, and also... Um, those items that are contributed by the readers, uh, student notes, my kid made the honor roll, um, and uh, items that are supplied by businesses about uh, promotions and and new hires. The So there's a, a lot of different levels of information, a lot of different kinds. There are people who go immediately to the obituaries. There are people who go immediately to the sports page. There are people who go immediately to the uh, police logs. And, uh, and uh, our task, our challenge, is to be interesting and informative and accurate and thorough. Not, not everything in our paper is going to be read by everyone, but uh, we try to meet members of the community where the, wherever they might be. Mm. And the way that you do that is, as you said, um, some of the information comes to you from listeners or businesses through a press release or community groups as a press release, right. and others you've got um, people out there kind of covering beats, I suppose? We do. And for the most part, the, the news is gathered and discovered by the reporters. Uh, there's a few ways we do that. Uh, we monitor the uh, a police radio, so we know where the accidents and fires are and uh, frequently... Uh, are right behind the fire trucks when there's an alarm. We go to uh, certain regular meetings. The Ellsworth City Council would be a good example. We don't miss those uh, because uh, that is going to be where a fair amount of news is going to be generated. But we also, by talking to people, by 
uh, feeling the pulse of the community. We follow uh, experiences, trends, tips, and uh, and those also can lead to significant reporting. Mm. Ben, how's, is there any difference um, in terms of, of uh, how you see that in the three papers that um, you kind of overall over, manage overall? Sure. I mean, I think, again, Stephen has, has captured well the, the essence and, and Penobscot Bay Press and the Ellsworth American um, are similar in that we're, we're both guided by principles of journalistic integrity and some of these, the core um, guiding ideas of what a free press means. Um, our readership is, you know, we're the newspaper of record in all the towns in which mm. we publish, uh, which um, means that we have certain privileges and also responsibilities um, in our reporting choices, especially covering town government. Um, uh, which we take seriously, and we spend resources doing. Um, but we have three full-time reporters counting our managing editor, Faith De Ambrose, to cover 10 towns. So as you can appreciate, um, we have to be careful in, in how we select our, our coverage mm. because there's only so much time in the week that mm. the three people have. So we rely on and greatly value community contributions to the news, um, whether that's institutional news from, for example, uh, the nursing home or um, the sort of citizen reporters that cover things like scholastic sports. For example, Jack's Sports Spot, uh, Scott's Sports Spot, has, done by Jack Scott, has been going on for, I think, decades now mm. um, and is a kind of a go-to place to read. Um, and he does write-ups on all the games and, uh, and photographs as well. So those community contributions from individuals and institutions, um, are not just from a practical standpoint, are important in terms of um, filling up editorial space and, and informing the readership. Um, but also, I think it really does lend an important qualitative aspect to the news where these are community members talking about their lives and their communities. Mm. So there are two um, uh, um, kind of distinctions um, or, or among a couple of different things. One is the editorial side of the paper versus the news gathering and reporting side. How does that work for you? How do you kind of and, – and that's both a combination of, of uh, people who um, write letters and you as the publisher or editor um, offer your opinion on issues. How does that actually work day-to-day -day for Penobscot Bay Press? Well, <clears throat> those – News gathering decisions are, um, I leave in the capable hands of the editorial staff. Mm -hmm. um, I, in fact, have um, little to no involvement on the editorial side of the house, so to speak. Um, um, my title as general manager means that I'm spending a lot more time tinkering in the engine room and, and working with department heads and solving technical and um, other types of challenges. Um, so I actually don't make any decisions about what news to cover. Mm -hmm. um, the the publisher, uh, Nat Barrows, and the managing editor, Faith Ambrose, make those decisions. But, you know, there are sort of core principles that guide what those choices. Um, like I said, being the newspaper of record means that we have certain responsibilities. Um, and, and what does that mean, the, the newspaper of record? And I assume that Ellsworth American is a newspaper of record for Ellsworth? Hancock County. Hancock County. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That means that you know we have to dedicate a certain amount of time and resources to covering um, town meetings, select board meetings, planning boards, mm -hmm. this, these sorts of things, the day-to-day -day, um, events of, of governance and um, the way that municipal government affects the lives of the readership. Um, and uh, it also means that um, we have a certain amount of space that needs to be dedicated to that. So you know, there's sort of set pieces of content that we need to to um, we know ahead of time that we're going to be using. Mm -hmm. St Stephen, how how would you approach this notion of of uh, the the opinion side of the, the press versus the news gathering and dissemination sure. side? Uh, let's talk about letters to the editor. The uh, Americans' policy, and I think the policy of uh, a lot of newspapers, is to encourage the readers to write in. And in particular, have the readers write in and express their opinions about the, uh, the news, that, and particularly the news as it's been reported in, in our case, the Ellsworth American. We appreciate those who uh, take issue with our reporting. It, uh, it makes for a good letter. 
it's it's uh, it's always nice to get a pat on the head, but sometimes uh, a letter that uh, points to some uh, weakness or lack of dimension in news reporting is good for us to learn, and it's uh, good for the readers to um, uh, reconsider some of the information. Uh, our our primary uh, limitation when it comes to letters to the editor is space. Although we devote a full page to letters, and sometimes more, especially around election time, uh, we encourage letter writers to try to be come to the point, uh, not be too lengthy, because we're we are hemmed in by just that physical space. Uh, that said, we have a nice, healthy, steady flow of letters about elections, climate change, world affairs, and uh, the nice thing that happened to me the other day when the policeman helped me change my tire. Mm. And so that's as interesting and as engaging a mix as we try to have on the news side. The uh, editorials are the opinion of the newspaper as an institution. This is why they're not signed. Uh, the Boston Globe and the New York Times and the Ellsworth American and lots and lots of other newspapers uh, don't have a, the editorial signed by an individual because of what I said. The editorial is the institution's stand on a subject that's going to be on the ballot. It could be a reaction kind of uh, editorial, and it also could be an uh, editorial that uh, practices leadership and encourages the readers to take action in one way or another. So the, the letters to the editor, and I su assume that there are other opinion pieces written by community members, you don't um, exercise editorial control of those. Um, in other words, you have space limitations and you give some guidance, but it's pretty much whatever comes over the transom? Uh, pretty much. Uh, one in... 25 uh, communications will be libelous, uh -huh. and uh, I will express my misgivings to the uh, author on occasion like that. But uh, we, uh, we like them lively and uh, uh, on a broad range of subjects. And as I say, top of the list goes to those letters that take issue with uh, the Ellsworth American. Great. Uh, ben, how's that um, play out um, for the Penobscot Bay Press? Um, what kind of letters do, are you getting um, on a day-to-day, -day, a week-to-week basis, rather? Uh, lots of letters on, on different subjects. Again, uh, like Stephen, we're confined by the space on, uh, on our newspaper page. Um, but letters to the editor are something that we take great care to examine, and, and, and we try to, to run as many as we receive. Um, especially when there's a, a lively conversation going on in the community about something, an issue of the mm. day. Um, so our letters to the editor, I think, are some, are some of the more dynamic pieces of content because it really is a, a place of interactivity um, where things can get you know, pretty lively. People mm -hmm. care about um, issues that affect their lives. And to me, that's one of the most exciting privileges of the newspaper is to have that space where people can have that discussion. Mm -hmm. So you've both mentioned the limitations of space, and that gets to another question. What's the business side of running a newspaper versus the editorial or the, or the, you know, the news side? Um, you're limited to space because um, you re rely on income from advertising to figure out what the size of the paper is. And, and I know that the paper changes. Um, all these papers change in the summertime when there's more advertising dollars. So tell us a little bit about the business side. Um, Stephen first. And, well, and it's, uh, what you say, uh, it's, uh, there's, there's seasonal expansion. Uh, any magazine, take the New Yorker, it'll be uh, uh, three-quarters of an inch thick. Uh, leading up to Christmas, and uh, in March, it's uh, a lot thinner. <laughs> and so that is a reflection of the uh, amount of advertising. Uh, and there are different times of the year. Summer is a great time for, for newspapers. Christmas is another one. Uh, when the, the, what's called the news hole, which is driven by a, a relationship to the amount of advertising. In the case of the Ellsworth American, we're 50-50. Half the newspaper is paid content, half the newspaper is uh, what we call editorial, and editorial is all kinds of things, uh, content that uh, we generate. And that's a generous news hole. A lot of uh, papers are 60-40. Sunday papers are frequently 70% advertising, 30% news. Um, 
So we have an ample opportunity there. There's also a banal reality that the paper itself is expensive. Yes. Newsprint is right up there among the top four expenses for a newspaper. Uh, so um, it's, uh, we, we can't just uh, say, gee, we, um, we've got these extra stories with these uh, extra long letters. Let's just put in a couple of more uh, pages. That's um, a serious uh, decision to make. We do it. Uh, when, when it's the right thing to do, but we think twice. So um, both of you are operating as businesses, I assume, um, to at least break, break even and, and perhaps make a profit. Is that oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Forget the perhaps part. Okay. Okay. And, and, and you d dedicate some of your staff to going out and soliciting um, advertising. Right. Um, all newspapers, all media have advertising departments, which are separate from the news department. The uh, news reporters go ahead and, and do the digging and write the stories that they're going to write. Uh, the advertising department recognizes that the newspaper is a really good medium for car dealerships and appliance businesses and restaurants to get out their message. If we have so many many thousands of eyeballs uh, looking at our stories. Those eyeballs are also going to drift over to the advertising messages. So we work uh, cooperatively. We complement each other's efforts. Mm. And uh, Ben, is it hard to convince um, some of the, uh, the smaller businesses, um, Deer Isle Stonington, uh, Blue Hill um, uh, Casting, to um, advertise in, in the various papers? What's the, what's the, what, what do you think um, um, gives them the, the impetus to say, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place that ad? What do you think it is? Well, advertising sales is, a, is an ongoing effort. Um, each week is a conversation, or each pr uh, product is a conversation, and uh, I know our sales department relishes that. That's their job. They enjoy it. Um, but I think even with very small newspapers like those published by Penobscot Bay Press, you know, we print something close to a quarter million copies a year. And um, those numbers are pretty significant for the small towns that we cover. So I think the value proposition is, is pretty good. And it's our job to articulate that, that. Right. Yes, right. exactly. Right. Um, so, and also we have the benefit of longevity and um, a steady, reliable presence in our communities for a very long time. So the core of our advertisers, or the advertisers I'd think of as those who are our su sustaining um, um, business partners or clients, um, have been advertising with us um, throughout the year for many years, um, whether it's the run of the paper advertising, you know, the week-to-week um, ads or special sections for holidays and things like that. So for, for the most part, it's um, maintaining and nurturing relationships that have been longstanding. And I think that that ties also into the, the community side of things mm. um, because we all, we all live with each other, you know, so, and we all know each other's faces and we see each other on email or on the telephone pretty regularly. Um, so advertising revenue is um, the biggest piece of of revenue that sustains our business, but of course subscriptions and newsstand sales, um, those pieces are, are the, the, the core bits of revenue that sustain us. Uh, we also do things like um, book sales and, um, and other things, but uh, it's really those three things and advertising revenue is king. Great. I'll just remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about the present and future of local newspapers. You've just heard from Ben Barrows, who's the general manager of the Penobscot Bay Press. Um, also in the studio is Stephen Fay, who's managing editor of the Ellsworth American, and Tim Archambault, who is the director of Reach Marketing. We're going to come back to each of those folks in a minute, but um, we have uh, Earl Brecklin on the line. Um, Earl is the editor of the Mount Desert Islander. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Earl. Thanks, Ron. Uh, thank you for all the great work you do with your program and for including me with uh, uh, Ben and Tim and Stephen. It's quite an august group. <laughs> well, Earl, you've heard, um, I assume, um, our conversation so far. Give us a, a little bit of, of your own background. How did you get into journalism and, and your present role at the Islander and, and um, a thumbnail sketch of the Islander, if you would? 
Well, thanks, Ron. I, I'm probably one degree removed from Gutenberg. I actually started in the uh, job shop at the Barber Times years ago running a letterpress, hand-setting lead type, so you almost can't get any further back um, in the technology of the industry. Uh, I've been covering Mount Desert Island for the American, for the Ellsworth American, the Barber Times, and now for the Islander for about 34 years. And um, I just always, I moved here, I loved the community, and always wanted to be part of it, and the newspaper represented a, a great way to do that. Uh, we started the Islander in 2001. Um, I think uh, there had been a series of corporate buyouts through the Bar Harbor Times, and uh, I certainly wanted to be part of an organization that emphasized and understood the contents of newspapers, and, and uh, Alan Baker says that frequently. And uh, so we started the Islander, the community responded, and uh, that's why I think we're fortunate to be in the position we're in today. Mm. And uh, you, again, you've heard our conversation. We've talked a little bit about um, the, the how a newspaper um, kind of conducts its business, both from the news gathering and dissemination side, a little bit about uh, public opinion and uh, some of the, the business side. Um, what would you add to that conversation based on your experience um, at the Mount Desert Islander and your previous work? Well, I think that... Uh, um, one of the comments we get when people may be upset with some coverage or something is is the uh, is the oft-repeated phrase, "Well, they're just trying to sell newspapers." Hmm. And uh, at some point, the answer to that question always is yes. I mean, we uh, hopefully aren't trying to do it on the uh, backs of misery or calamity. Uh, at the same time, um, if if folks don't support the institution. Uh, I always like to think readers each week when they pick up the paper or they subscribe, they're our stockholders, and they're reflecting a faith in the company and in the value of the service that it provides to the community. And so, yeah, we do want to sell newspapers, and we want people to understand and see uh, uh, the value that we do. Uh, there'd be a lot of work they would have to do to collect that information, to understand those issues, to attend all those meetings, to be good citizens if we weren't there doing that job. Mm. And um, in the last year, um, you've certainly covered your share of stories that have generated um, lots of, of letters. Um, what, what was it about those stories on Mount Desert Island that, that uh, you think really uh, piqued people's interest? Well, I think that uh, people are passionate about their issues, whether it's uh, climate change uh, in Bar Harbor. <clears throat> excuse me, we have a proposed uh, deer hunt on the ballot. Now, people want to share their thoughts with their neighbors and maybe give, provide some information they'd like them to think about. And uh, I'm certainly honored every time uh, we get a letter in that uh, it's, it's people showing their faith in our our ability to uh, help get their word out to their friends and neighbors. Mm. And we've we've certainly had um, turmoil in the in the public sector, at least in the town of Bar Harbor. Um, were there particular challenges to covering the stories that um, had to do with the uh, uh, former police chief and the town manager? What what were the challenges in dealing with something that was which so intimate um, in the community, but so important for people to understand? Well, I think that's uh, for any small paper. I think Stephen alluded to this earlier when you can do the story about the, the friendly police officer that helps someone uh, fix a flat tire. Uh, when the chips are down and you have those hard issues where people tend to gravitate to individual camps and harden their positions, um, it's, it's difficult for the newspaper in that uh, the first thing people are going to say is, oh, the paper is biased or they didn't report this side or they didn't report that side. So I think uh, you have to just uh, sort of hunker down and understand uh, that you have a faith in your staff and in your staff's ability to report fairly and accurately. And when the dust settles and you have the uh, benefit of hindsight, I think people say, you know, those guys did a good job. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to something that all of our guests have talked about, and that's kind of some um, uh, journalistic principles or ethics that uh, um, kind of come with the territory. And exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy when you're, you have a, a Facebook page and you just – throw things out there and you get 200 likes and you think the entire world thinks like you do uh, and you don't have any of your assumptions challenged or anything else. But uh, I think that uh, having those ethics and standing by them and uh, having people uh, see that, that in the end, you, you, they may not like what you write because they're not happy about the subject, mm -hmm. but they certainly uh, should respect the fact that you know, you've done your job well. Mm. Um, ben or Stephen, anything to add to that discussion of, of when you're covering tough stories and, and how you kind of, kind of work through those, Stephen? Well, uh, 
Earl said it very well. The uh, fact is that uh, reporters and editors and publishers have opinions and religions and favorite teams and uh, personal preferences and biases. Our job is to leave them at the door when we uh, uh, sit down at our desks and make sure that um, we are reporting fairly and accurately. And if uh, the re fair and accurate reporting uh, makes waves, makes enemies, uh, as long as we know that we've been as uh, conscientious and professional as we can be, on we go. And as Earl said, it usually sugars out that, that um, somebody may be uh, uh, a source of some angst, uh, or the newspaper, or the editor, or the reporter, but if the reporting is balanced and accurate, that's what we're supposed to do. Mm. Ben, anything to add to that, that the, the, the coverage of difficult stories in the community? Yeah, my understanding is that you would at first raise the subject in the context of uh, what Earl was saying about it being uh, a business, and yes, indeed, that's true. Um, but I think that, in, in my mind, the the issues are they're related but separate because the covering a challenging issue in a, in a community, and there are many challenging issues to cover, is something that. I think most journalists think of as their journalistic duty mm, to do mm. uh, and to do so responsibly and ethically. Um, but the business aspect of that doesn't really enter into it. This is coverage like that is driven by journalistic intent. And um, for example, at Panasca Bay Press, the um, editorial side and the sales side don't confer about what the coverage is in, in terms of planning it or how they're going to cover it or what they're going to say, you know, these things are, are distinctly um, separate. Mm. And we, we are emphatic in that separation as, as part of our, the ethos that guide our day-to-day -day operation. Mm. So there is a relationship because it, we're, we're, we all work for the same company and always we do need to sell papers, but um, those issues are not um, guiding principles in our journalistic approach. Mm. I'll just remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about the present and future of local newspapers. Um, on the phone with us is Earl Brecklin, editor of the Mount Desert Islander. In the studio with us is Stephen Fay and uh, Tim Archambault, uh, both of the Ellsworth American, and Ben Barrows, general manager of the Penobscot Bay Press. We've talked about um, the local press um, and in its present form and a little bit about it, its um, kind of you know, traditions. Um, let's turn the, 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 um, the dial a little bit into um, the present and future in terms of the, the changes that uh, technology um, is bringing, and, and uh, we'll be glad to welcome Tim back into this fold. Um, Tim, you mentioned the, the notion of, of uh, kind of a, a different venture of the, um, the Ellsworth American helping people with their, their presence online through creation of, of websites. Um, I suppose newspapers are struggling with, with how do they present themselves online as well. Yeah. Um, do you <clears throat> Excuse me. I haven't talked so long. I couldn't talk. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, can, Ron, can I go back? Yeah, please, take a step please. Back and just, I never really gave any insight into where I've come from. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, after working at the Bangor Daily News for 20 years or so, uh, started BangorDailyNews.com in 1997. And then in 2008, I had the pleasure of uh, working for Lee Enterprises, which is a, a publicly traded newspaper company in uh, Davenport, Iowa. Hmm. And they recruited me to go to Provo, Utah, and kind of be a change management person in their operation and help them uh, really uh, develop an internet strategy is really what it was mm -hmm. about. And it turns out that Utah is one of the youngest demographics in the United States. It mm. is the youngest demographic, and Maine is the oldest. So uh, it was an interesting experience, and the reason I'm bringing it up is we're talking about the future, and you t hear about people saying that, you know, the comment that print is dead. Uh, uh, but the reality is, is in my time there, um, I learned that actually print isn't dead. Uh, you know, print is going to be, as we move forward in publishing, print is going to be part of a, you know, a, a suite of, of offerings. There's print, there's the website, there's apps. 
there's community involvement, events. A lot of newspapers are getting involved in event marketing and, and publishing companies. So uh, it isn't that print is dead. It's print is part of a bigger marketing mix. Mm. And, and mm. that's even here in Maine where we think everything happens slower. It's happening and it's here. Mm. And, and out in Utah and California, some of the other markets I worked in, Billings, Montana, uh, Escondido, California, uh, it's just happening faster. Uh, th- those trends are moving this way. Okay? Mm. Five Guys Burgers and Fries was in Utah in 2008. Guess what? It's here now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those they're just trending their way east. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stephen um, represented a, um, a paper that's been around for more than 160 years, 50 yes. years. Um, what were some of the challenges okay. as um, people began to realize there was something out there besides um, the physical newspaper, the way that people were kind of, what were some of the challenges? Was that a mental um, kind of block that people had to face into and then kind of leap beyond? What were some of the factors that, that you considered? Well, we had to evolve as professionals. And uh, I think that there's an uh, initial resistance to change and um, even a, a, a reluctance, a stubbornness and to uh, cling to the classical uh, print vehicle and say, well, this is how it should be. And, uh, and it takes a while to uh, accept and acknowledge that uh, if people are getting their information from different platforms, from their iPhones or tablets, that, um, that information is information. And uh, it's what we need to do is make sure that we're the ones providing it. Mm. And, uh, and that means adapting to the vehicles, the uh, media, the, the technology that's going to convey that information. The information is still what it is. It's uh, uh, community building, and it's investigative reporting, and it's uh, helping people uh, navigate in their mm. communities, in their state, in their nation. Mm. And uh, how they obtain that information, where they're going to read it, access it, is the thing that we're recognizing and we're trying to go forward with that. Uh, We could could be Kodak or we could be IBM. And uh, Kodak's not a good business model. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it means sometimes being daring and, uh, and looking into the future. And uh, being a little uncomfortable, going into uh, technologies that uh, you kind of hoped you wouldn't have to master. <laughs> Earl Breckland on the line with us from uh, uh, the Mount Desert Islander. What's, what's the kind of the relationship between the print and digital versions of, of your paper? And how have people um, kind of changed in, their, in how they get their news? Well, I think um, what hap- happens is there's actually a variety of digital platforms now. In that, and uh, we are adapting and recognizing that we currently offer a full digital subscription, which is a representative of the uh, a representative of the actual page of the newspaper. Adds an editorial; it's fully searchable, has an archive going back to 2009. Um, uh, for folks that just want to get it on, a, say, a device or what have you, you can print out part of it and put it on your fridge for your kids and what have you. Uh, and then other folks are they just want they want to do the quick hit. They're looking for uh, that announcement on Facebook. They're looking for the information on the websites. And, uh, uh, and I think that that's, so we have to be mindful of that. And um, so you, it's, there's several delivery channels now that, that we have to adapt to and then also understand that they have different deadlines and different expectations of immediacy um, uh, that uh, have, have to enter into the different publishing decisions. So you're a- able to, to do breaking news that you couldn't have done with a strict print version because people are turning to you online to f- see what your reporters are kind of looking at um, between papers. Exactly. And what happens is uh, we have to adapt as a newsroom culture because, say, something that breaks on a Friday now and uh, it's been all over the web and we've had stories on we we notice on Facebook and we publish uh, uh, stuff on islander.com and fenceviewer.com and uh, by the time we get to put out the paper the next week we have to remind ourselves that it hasn't been in the paper yet and right. so what form is that going to take and at the same time it brings up additional ethical questions because uh, 
nowadays you can get that information so quickly uh, that it, it's all about uh, that pressure to be first, but also you want to be first with thought and not just be putting things out there uh, idly that may not be uh, correct information because uh, initial reports are often incorrect uh, or uh, folks haven't been notified in the event of a calamity or things of that nature. Mm. Um, ben, how, how are you adapting to the digital age at the Penobscot Bay Press? Well, it's an interesting time to be in, in journalism and publishing, certainly. Um, I can't think of a single day I would regard as boring, um, uh, which is nice. Um, I think stepping back a little bit that, and building on something that Stephen mentioned is that a lot of these changes um, that are happening in newspaper publishing is, are driven by the business case, by the business model. And I think it's not too daring to say that if um, newspapers and publishers were still making as much money as they were 15 years ago, there would be a little incentive to adapt new media and creative strategies and all the other things that are going on with social media and, and so on. Um, so I think a lot of the change is driven by necessity, and um, but I think that's an opportunity as well as a challenge, of course. But one of the unfortunate realities is that um, digital advertising, you can't just transport the print model into the digital world. Mm -hmm. it, it simply doesn't work. Um, I think it was last year that Pew Research Center, uh, their project for excellence in journalism, they estimated that for every $1 gained in digital advertising, publications were losing $7 in print revenue. So you can understand that, you can appreciate that ratio is just totally unsustainable. And in addition to changes, there are some un un painful contractions that are involved. And, but that's not the same across all markets and all publications because the Ponsco Bay Press publishes its, its newspapers weekly. And we're uh, in a, a market niche that is commonly referred to as hyper-local. You know, we're, we're down there mm -hmm. at the real community level. So the market forces that have buffeted and destroyed and consolidated a lot of um, national and metro newspapers, um, we have sort of been sheltered from that a little bit. Um, but I think, as, as Tim said, uh, those changes are here. They're on our doorstep. And, and I think it's one interesting aspect of it also at the hyperlocal level is that interplay between the company and the market. And um, a publisher once told me, you don't want to sort of outstrip your market. So it wouldn't be appropriate, for example, even if we had the resources to just go crazy on digital and like we're all digital and you can only access us through our app and all the social media times because that's not true to the um, consumption habits of our readership. Um, so you don't want to outstrip your, your market, but at the same time, complacency is never going to be a good business strategy. Mm -hmm. And obviously, th what worked in 1990 is not going to work in 2014. Mm -hmm. So making judgments and investments in that sort of the incremental change, you know, what size and type of change is appropriate, is um, a source of lots of lively discussion um, at Penobscot Bay Press, and I think in similar newspapers around the, the state and country. Um, so, and I don't think it's just transporting the business model from paper to digital, as I said earlier. I think what has to happen is a diversification of the approach, as Tim was touching on. It can't just be that we have our newspapers online and we sell digital ad space, um, although we do have to do that. You also have to have, and, and we do have uh, an app that you can uh, read on your mobile device um, and offering um, more sophisticated marketing products and um, even events, as, as Tim's also mentioned. So I think um, those are some of the things that have emerged as uh, moves to make that are driven by necessity, um, but that are also working. But it's, there isn't going to be some magic bullet panacea. It's got to, you got to cobble together um, a bunch of different approaches and in, invest further in those which are working and resonating with your readership and your communities and also be clear-eyed about what isn't and, and change and move on from there. Mm. I'm going to um, just check in with Earl Brecklin before we let him go um, and, and invite uh, listeners to call in. Um, anything you'd add to this conversation about the future of uh, local newspapers, Earl? 
Yeah, there is one thing, and I think one of the more admirable trends in, in recent years has been the whole buy local movement and mm. support community merchants and and uh, local farmers and things like that. And I think that that uh, people need to view uh, their community publications uh, as an opportunity to exercise that same dynamic. I think that um, uh, you know we're not a- asking folks to um, to act against their own economic self-interest if they can get rid of an old table for free on barter and swap, that's wonderful. But at the same time, I think if people see it in an institution such as a newspaper and its websites and, and digital offerings as, as important, that uh, they need to support that and they need to understand that if they don't, uh, that's something that could be lost. Great. Great. Well, Earl, thanks for taking time to be with us here on Thank Talk you, of the Ron. Towns. Um, Earl Brecklin, editor of the Mount Desert Islander. Um, we'll give you a chance, uh, listeners, to call in if you've got questions or comments or your own insights about the present and future of local newspapers. Give us a call toll-free, 1-866-625-9378, or locally, 469-0500, as we talk with um, a, a about the present and future of local newspapers. Uh, Tim Archambault, the director of Reach Marketing um, at the Ellsworth American, what would you add to this uh, this conversation about the the future and Ben's notion that we are adapting, we're not um, changing things um, whole cloth, but we're adapting as we go. What are some of the adaptations you see ahead of us? Sure. Um, Ben made some good points and touched on what I mentioned earlier. Uh, So the... The idea of, of increasing the marketing mix, you know, print, online, uh, event marketing, things like that, uh, that's definitely moving forward in many markets. What I will say about that, this, this is not a homogenous or magic bullet approach. Mm-hmm. Every market, every newspaper uh, and is different, and, and the right mix is different. Uh, you know, in Provo, Utah, uh, Internet is going to be a much bigger component of the future because – People the, are already there. So that right. notion of where's the market right. um, or the, the, the right. readership. Yeah. Right. Ben is in a very small, um, hyper, like you said, hyper-local market. And you know his mix is going to be a lot different than the Bangor Daily News or the Portland Press-Herald mm-hmm. or um, even, the, even the Ellsworth American because it, it's bigger. Mm-hmm. So the, the newspaper um, um, industry kind of um, – took a, a long time to figure some of this out. And one of the, the challenges was, do we give this away or do we charge for it in terms of getting people to, to read us online? Where, where's, where's the Ellsworth American in that, in that dilemma um, at this point? The light bulb uh, went on uh, recently that we really shouldn't be giving it away. Um, most newspapers, and I, I think USA Today and Wall Street Journal might be the exceptions, but I'm not sure. Most newspapers... Uh, created websites and started putting news online uh, in the 1990s for free. Plenty of newspapers still do that. And uh, in some cases, truncated versions of the uh, news content. In other cases, the whole darn thing. And uh, I think that the newspapers as an industry got off on the wrong foot. Uh, But sought to to catch up, to, to be current, uh, to be uh, with the times, and so started putting content online at no charge. Well, why would we do that? <laughs> we, we've got a light bill to pay. We've got um, a payroll to make. Why would we have the reporters and editors and everyone else do what they're doing for no compensation? So you're seeing this uh, throughout the industry uh, as, and in Maine, the um, – the number of times you can peek uh, for free before uh, you get either shut off or uh, an enticement to get a subscription. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that that is a big part of the future. Mm. And how, how did you determine at the Ellsworth American um, the, the price point, if you will, to use that, that jargon, um, for your digital kind of subscriptions and so on. Um, is it the same as um, getting a print subscription? Is it less? How did you figure that out? Do you want to take that? Uh, I'd, I'd say we're right now we're, that's part of where we're at is figuring that out. Okay. Different, you know, the, the person who wants to read one article, you know, that might be one price, or the person that wants to read it with regular frequency, 
weekly, monthly, that might be a different price point. Uh, but those are all things that we're researching and, and figuring out what other people are doing, what other companies are doing right now. Mm. So, um, Ben, please weigh in. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a really interesting set of opportunities and challenges. I th- the way that Panasco Bay Press has done it is uh, is a little bit different um, because our market is a little bit different. Uh, you know, for example, downtown Stonington um, didn't have a Wi-Fi or cell phone uh, connectivity until this summer. Right. Um, the first um, cell phone towers were erected on the island just about two years ago. So even if we'd wanted to be a super cool, cutting-edge digital agency, we would we can't access, our customers can't access that content. So um, so back to this sort of the pricing and the platforms issue, um, we haven't differentiated prices within platforms. So for example, as, as uh, Tim was saying, on the, the website, we don't have any, you know, read X number of articles and then you have to pay kind of thing. We, we've divided by platform in, uh, in the following hierarchy. The app um, version, um, which you, know, you can download from iTunes or Magster and read on your phone or tablet, is the most content-rich product that we publish. It's got everything that the newspaper has, plus additional pages of um, photos, video embeds, um, and you know ads and um, URLs, um, you know web links inside the articles are you know clickable with your finger, mm-hmm. so that you can sort of jump from the app into the into a browser. And um, that's tied to a weekly publication, just like our, our newspapers. So, so we go to press on Thursday, and our app comes out that night. Um, so then the newspaper is um, the weekly publication, the Casting Patriot Weekly Packet and Island Advantages. And then the third platform is the web. And the web is updated, uh, unlike the newspaper and the app, we, we update that regularly throughout the week. Um, breaking news, what content that we feel is newsworthy, but we don't push all of the content onto the web because it's free. So the idea is that there's enough there to have a an enriching readership experience. You know, you can look at the webcam, you can look at the sports photos, um, and, and a variety of other con- content types. Um, but if you want to have the the full, and I'd like to think excellent Penobscot Bay Press. Um, content consumption experience, you know, you, you need to buy the newspaper or the app. So that's how we differentiate prices and platforms. Mm. Any any response to that? Um, the, the, is that how you're, you're exploring some of these, the, the differentiations? And then, uh, Tim, your connection with uh, businesses, um, how are they responding to this new world? And, and how are you helping them navigate um, that path? Because in some ways, you're helping lead them. Um, One of the best parts about uh, working with reach marketing and the, and the customers is that uh, most of our customers are not inhibited by old business models like we're talking okay. about today. Yeah. They're, they're totally focused on selling something, a service, a product. So that is a lot of fun. Uh, th- what we're talking about is a lot harder. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but these local businesses, you know, they're finding that uh, you know, the internet works. Uh, print a lot of these our customers are print customers as well. It works. Mm-hmm. And to your point earlier about advertising and some of the points Ben made, uh, it's about results. And if the phone rings and, and the bottom line is we're helping companies, Reach is helping customers uh, get phone calls and leads. And the newspapers are also continue to help their customers get leads, which is why you continue to see ads in the newspapers. So as we wrap up, what's your hope? For um, newspapers of the future, we've got a couple minutes. So you each get a, a short kind of what's your hope, Stephen Fay. I uh, I think that without being unrealistic, that there still is a, a, a goodly population that likes to read the newspaper, that likes to trade sections um, with the other person in the room, and uh, clip stories out and uh, uh, have that uh, physical newspaper in hand. That said, I firmly believe in the, uh, something I read in the Maine Press Association recently that said, uh, if you don't like change, you're going to hate extinction. <laughs> so we're paying attention to 
the uh, necessity to uh, recognize evolution is taking place. Quick word from uh, Ben Barros. What's your hope for the future of local newspapers? Uh, my hope is, is less tied to um, a product or a platform. It's more about the, the role in the communities. I hope that we can, uh, as a local newspaper, continue to enrich and be enriched by the, the communities that we serve. Great. Continue and having that role. Last word to Tim Archibald. What's your hope for the future of local newspapers, Tim? I'll stick with the digital environment, but I'm really excited to see small and hyper-local newspapers like Ben and Stephen's operation, how they can use the Internet and leverage uh, information and leverage public opinion and really uh, you know, have the public be involved in, in driving what's an interesting story. What's you know what event coverage? Because um, there's a lot of voices out there that are getting the news out there for us, and I think the aggregation of that information by newspapers can really help consumers sift out all all of this information. And I think that's an opportunity for us. Great, great um, perspectives on the role, the future role of local newspapers. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. A radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our uh, guests in the studio, Stephen Fay, who is the managing editor of the Ellsworth American. Tim Archambault is the um, director of Reach Marketing. Uh, Ben Barrows, the general manager of the Penobscot Bay Press. And we were joined by phone by Earl Breckland, the editor of the Mount Desert Islander. Uh, Thanks to our engineer, thanks to our underwriters, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. You're listening to WERU FM 89.9 in Bangor and 99.9 in Bangor and 89.9 in Blue Hill. Streaming live around the world at WERU.org.